0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson.
0: Well, hello. Gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA. We're going to talk about a lot of factors moving in the ag industry today. We're going to dive into these markets first with Dwayne Bussi Bolt Marketing here in just a moment. Before segment two, we're going to talk with the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. South Dakota producer Todd Wilkinson will be joining us. And then in segment three, we're still going to talk livestock, but it won't be pork or beef. Peter Orwell, with the American sheep industry will be joining us. That industry continues to see some of the same challenges our cattle producers are seeing, but with a very different market structure. We'll get Peter's take on what's happening there. And then we're going to close the show with our friend Hillary Russ. She's the Reuters journalist who covers the food industry. And there's been a number of shakeups as these restaurants try to grapple with these higher cost of food out here in the country and hillary's going to fill us in now that earnings are coming in for these restaurants how do they look as we rebound from COVID? before we get into all of that however let's talk about these markets duane Bussy, bolt marketing as i look at what's happening here in the trade it sure seems like old crop soybeans are taking it on the chin what's going on
2: well they sure are aren't they today down about 20 cents in the front november not looking any better you know I honestly, this is kind of a lame excuse, but I think a lack of bullish news right now is really just allowing the sellers to take control of this market. We did some chart damage to end the week last week, and without a cold damp forecast, we need the damp with it as well. Planning progress is is on time right now, so it just seems like the path of least resistance is lower.
0: Dwayne, with the path of least resistance moving down, from a chart perspective, what are you watching as the potential next area of support here for these uh, old crop beans?
2: Uh, sadly for the old crop, all eyes are right at 1383, which would be the low in July beans we made in March. And if you go back even further during harvest, you know, September, October timeframe, that's where it dipped down as well. You know, huge Brazil crop being harvested, almost completely harvested now. They don't have a lot of space. So their farmers are having to sell a lot of beans and that's just, you know, making a big discount at the cash market. They're about $2 lower than us. So until they get those flush of beans out, we probably need to go test those lows, I'm afraid.
0: All right, Dwayne, you know, yesterday we saw a fairly large corn cancellation from China on the soybean side. Do they have much left on the order books they could cancel as we get into summer?
2: Uh, You know, not a lot. I I don't think they will. I I think China's demand is going to end up being stronger than we anticipate. Um, You remember after they had ASF, they rebuilt their hog herd a little bit more to mimic ours, a little bit higher feed ration, you know, high big facilities, obviously. The only thing is there's some talk of ASF coming back in China now, hitting about 10% of their sow herd. So maybe a little negative short-term soybean demand there as well.
0: But that could be bullish long-term on the hog complex, which has been struggling, Dwayne, maybe on the cattle complex. We've heard rumors of this ASF rebound in China. Do you feel as though the trade is getting some confidence in the impact of that disease?
2: I, It's hard to really grasp any story out of China and the numbers involved, right? But to your point, it should at least help maybe our hog futures find a bottom. It's been an ugly market lately going down, down, down. It should make, you know, the back months, maybe October, December, February of next year, find some support and at least question of, do we really, from the fund side, do we want to be record short if ASF starts to fire up in China again? And
0: I would think the answer would be a screaming no that is a great point that that managed money duane are where are they i suppose from investing in a commodity standpoint we've got the cftc commitment of traders data now up to speed are we still seeing mm-hmm. managed money look at commodities as a as an inflation hedge
2: You know not like they used to sadly they're yeah record short lean hogs they're pretty long in the live cattle situation but we know there's a bullish supply and demand situation there and then the grains no they're they're short the wheat complex which is interesting when you consider the russia ukraine situation might be coming to a head in the black sea here as far as their exports in the middle of this month um they're long some soybeans but pretty close to flat corn so if we get a weather scare in the U.S. and our, you consider our tight old crop situations, they, they could buy this market really hard very quickly.
0: Okay. All right. Could see it if the prices get attractive enough. You mentioned the bull story in the cattle complex, and we've been talking about that for the past several weeks. It is quite a story and quite a market to watch day to day. As this week moves forward, are we still seeing that that futures market catch its breath here in the cattle trade? Oh, I like how you put that catching
2: its breath a little bit, you know, we ran up and made new highs, new all time highs for the April fats, of course. And since then, we've set back just a little bit. Um, had, I guess you could call it a, a bearish cattle on feed report with placements higher than anticipated. But the market recovered sharply yesterday from the lows. On ideas of like, yeah, okay, we had the cattle on feed report, but maybe it was more important to note that last week our beef production was down 7% for that week year over year. There's your bullish story right there. We just don't have the numbers. Um, It'd be nice to see a little bit warmer temps in the east and west coast for some grilling demand to spike up, but uh, this is still a bull market, and I don't think we've seen the highs yet.
0: You don't think we've seen the highs yet, Dwayne. My question next one is a two-parter. Have we seen the highs in fats or in feeders? Do you think both have more room to run?
2: I think both have more room to run. I think your August feeders are, are really probably on a, a rocket chip to get to the all-time highs in the 240 area. I think those numbers are going to decline in, in the feeder index cash sales really soon here. The fats may take a little bit longer here. April's going to go off the board at the end of this week, and then June maybe can you know mess around a little bit because obviously it won't be in delivery, but I think eventually June trades above 170.
0: All right. Well, Dwayne, as folks are getting out there they're watching these feeder cattle sales. They're looking to put some of these high-dollar feeders onto lots. What's your advice for managing some of that still elevated input cost risk? Your cost of gain is still high. How are folks managing that risk in your perception?
2: Yeah, it's tough, no doubt about it. Um you're buying high-priced feeders and corn isn't cheap anywhere really. Um <laughs> LRP is is something we've been pushing here a lot. It's funny it, we talk to our spec crowd about buying the live cattle board because we're bullish, but then come afternoon, I put my LRP hat on and talk about people, you know, maybe we, you know, buy some insurance on these back months just to have a floor set in place. I'm bullish and think we can have higher prices, but man, we're dealing with a lot of capital investment
0: here. Are the folks that you're promoting LRP to Dwayne, are they finding it easy enough to work with, to, to have that manage the risk on their operation?
2: They really are. It's, it's a nice tool, um, that they've come up with lately and, you know, we really like the changes last couple of years that they made that, you know, don't have to pay for that premium until the termination date. So, you know, if you're looking at December live cattle, you want to buy an LRP contract out there. You, you don't have to write a check for it until the end. And and hopefully you are writing a check, right? It's it's like a glorified put option. You, you hope it's a waste of money and prices are higher. But boy, we've seen cattle too many times do odd things or something happen. So I sure like having that protection out there
0: that's a great point when that market turns we have seen it many times before it can turn on a dime and the results can be devastating if you're unprepared duane as you look out in this week ahead what are you watching for grain market news anything we need to keep our ear to the ground on
2: you know it's the it's a weather market now we got to keep a close eye on it right now the extended forecast is cold but dry and honestly starting next week when we flip the calendar cold soil temps in the I States aren't going to stop anyone from planting but watch North Dakota extended forecast. It is frozen up here, and we need the heat. Otherwise, it's going to be tough to get the spring wheat and the beans in. So eventually, there's a bean story there, but I'm just way too far ahead of it right now.
0: All right, folks, keep an eye on that forecast. The weather market is in effect. We've been talking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, anytime, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, staying with us, Todd Wilkinson, president of the National Cattle
0: and Beef Association. Will join us on AOA with Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit
3: cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the new world in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
4: A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for making AOA a part
0: of your day. You know, this time of year is a great time of year to get out to Washington, D.C. Of course, it's beautiful weather out there typically this time of year. It's before it gets too hot and humid, but also there is an active crowd of legislators and regulators planning for the year ahead, so it makes it a great time for farmers folks with boots on the ground to get into that city and explain what happens in farm country. Well, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is doing that this week. Their legislative conference is in D.C. and joining us from that event is their president, South Dakota cattleman Todd Wilkinson. Todd, thanks for joining us today.
3: Hey, it's great to be here today.
0: Now, I mentioned you are a South Dakota cattleman, DeSmet, South Dakota, to be specific. And I've got to ask you to start, Todd, have you seen the ground up there in South Dakota or is everything still snow covered?
3: Actually, we, we could see the ground for the first time about a week and a half ago. So it's a welcome change after four plus months of white.
0: Absolutely. Starting to make some progress and it's happening at a time, Todd. We're getting a lot of focus on the cattle industry. Record prices happening out in the country right now. What are you hearing from producers? How's the attitude of the cattlemen out there across uh, America?
3: Well, it it. It's awesome to get across the country and, and talk to the cow-calf producers especially, because they are, they got a little jingle in their pocketbook. And you know, the way the thing is looking, I think we're in for a three, four year run, um, depending upon how long it takes to rebuild the herd. And, and we need that. We, particularly in the cow-calf sector, uh, those, those guys and gals need, need some economic uplift and and this is just a, a wonderful time to be in the cattle industry. I say that because I um, I'm here. My son is just finishing up cattle or the calving on our operation, and uh, he reminds me that uh, while Dad is away, uh, he he's uh, he's out there making sure that the cows are fed and and the calves are coming in.
0: Well, that's the thing. It takes a lot of work to keep an operation going year round. And that's especially true when, you know, a lot of times some of the senior members of that operation have to go and tend to the issues of the industry. Todd, which, of course, is what you're doing there in D.C., you've got a number of cattle producers on the ground. Tell us, what are you guys going to be talking about? What are the issues that are on the bo- on the top of minds of folks as they meet with legislators?
3: Well, as you can well imagine, uh, the Farm Bill is uh, is right up at the top of the list. And, you know, you um, ranchers are are kind of uh, a unique bunch of uh, we don't ask a lot from the government and we kind of ask that they leave us alone but uh part of part of what we need is uh a fully funded vaccine bank and and that's that's really critically important at this point point. and we were fortunate enough in the last farm bill to get a vaccine bank that was authorized over a period of years but now we need to move into um the, another part of that which is traceability and and traceability is there for purposes of protecting our herd you know i, I all i uh, have to do is is think of the four poor folks that are in australia that are are dealing with indonesia 300 nautical miles off their coast and watching a foot and mouth uh, uh outbreak that's just uh, running all over that, that portion of the, of the globe. And, and then you look to our, our pork, uh, partners and, and the poultry people, and you realize what they're going through. If beef doesn't get on, uh, the stick here, we're going to, we're going to be under the gun and getting some of those issues, uh, front and center in front of our elected representatives is critically important so that we don't face a 200 plus billion dollar hit if we have an outbreak of foot and mouth disease.
0: That's so huge. The response of our import and export partners should any sort of animal disease break is sudden and it is hard and fast when they shut off those exports. Todd, speaking of exports and imports, we've seen the U.S. questioning our ability to import beef out of Brazil. We're here wondering about their ability to maintain a secure animal herd. Is beef imports from South America a con- topic of conversation for today?
3: Well, it sure is. And and I'm glad you brought it up because uh Beef producers and farmers and ranchers are, are united across the country in calling for um, Brazil to be shut off. And And I, I'm very disappointed that Secretary Vilsack, uh, when he's hearing a united front from all the beef sector, uh, plus uh, Farm Bureau and S- Secretary Vilsack, insists on ignoring the issue. And I'm, I'm going to use that term. I know he's going to say that it's an atypical case that's been reported down there, and it is. So it it's not that our food safety's at risk from that. What what's at risk is Brazil's repeated um, evidence that they j- just simply ignore the rules that the rest of the world has to operate under, and that's what put puts us at risk. Their failure to comply with all the other rules uh, is is just reason enough to say, okay, if you guys can't follow the rules, then you shouldn't be allowed to uh, import into the United States.
0: That seems fair. If you're gonna play the game, you gotta play the game by the rules that we've all agreed to. Todd, another issue that I'm sure is on the minds of cattlemen in DC this week are climate change emissions issues. We're seeing a lot of conversation from this administration about those issues. What are you hoping the cattlemen can convince their legislators of this week?
3: Well. Yeah, you, you you know the uh, the administration just seems uh, bent on a course of action that really wants to cripple the farming and ranching sector uh, in a in a myriad of ways. Uh, you know they got the the EPA uh, zeroing in on America's farmers and ranchers, and and it's frustrating because uh, I'm literally anticipating a Supreme Court decision. Either this week or next week, hopefully on uh, WOTUS waters of the United States, and yet EPA is has forced us to go into court and 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 seek uh, injunctive relief uh, to keep our producers uh, available uh, for still developing, um, you know, their their ground and and doing what they need to do. You know, America's farmers and ranchers, and this was what I get a kick out of. America's farmers and ranchers are awesome environmentalists in the true sense of that word. And yet uh, the the Biden administration seems convinced um, that we need more government regulation. And that's the, the big topic out here with a lot of, of these ranchers is saying enough is enough. We know how to take care of the land. We do a good job. We've demonstrated that. And, and yet we continue to get uh, overregulation. And, you know, we don't ask a lot. We just, we will produce a great quality product and we'll do it in a, a healthy and environmentally conscious manner. Um, but when we got big government coming in and trying to force us uh, into a certain pigeonhole, uh, that just doesn't work well.
0: No, it doesn't. And Todd, you know, one of the concerning issues that I know NCBA has been hot on, along with I think every other commodity group, are the SEC's ongoing climate change requirements, the disclosures that they want public companies to uh, put out there with regard to their greenhouse gas emissions. Is that a topic that's come up amongst uh, the meetings so far this week?
3: It is. And, and, you know, when you try to uh, take the SEC, who is Uh, clearly there to regulate uh, Wall Street and you take and try and dictate policy down through uh, the supply chain down to the local producer and do what you don't have the legal authority to do um, in statute and and do it by regulation. It's a huge factor for for all the producers that are out here. You know, uh, farming and ranching, it doesn't really matter what facet of the industry you're in the fact that the SEC is trying to tell us uh, that where we sell our product is now going to require additional burdens on on reporting of of sustainability issues is is this simply beyond logic how, how we go from Wall Street to the farm is is beyond me
0: it certainly sounds as though the the fuss that has been made about that SEC climate disclosure rule is sinking in, Todd. It sounds as if legislators and regulators are both working to perhaps roll that back. Will remain to be seen how that battle can play out as the summer goes on. But if we've got listeners right now who want to see what NCBA is pushing on from a policy perspective, Todd, where would you recommend they go for more information?
3: Well, if, if you the easy place to go is uh, ncba.org, uh, and then you go under our policy issues, and and you'll see that. Uh, that the priorities for America's ranchers and and I and I hope people uh, take heart with the fact that we've got a great we've got a great business climate going right now Um, and we also need to keep keep pushing on the issues that to help protect us
1: what it's all about folks
0: talk to those people in power make sure they understand the view from the farm we've been talking with Todd Wilkinson president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association folks stay with us more AOA coming up next agriculture of america is brought to you by cenex premium diesel fueled by innovation powered to perform
5: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Once we take a look at the market trade, we are seeing pressure in the soy complex leak in here as we work through the trade with cord and wheat, feeling a little bit of the pressure as well, moving to the downside. Soybeans closed lower yesterday, looking like more follow-through here today. The spread between May futures and November is approaching $2, and as time presses on, the Nove beans will likely gain value to narrow that spread as the November contract retains good crush margins, which are valuable to processors. Crop progress report showed soybean planting 9% complete, which was in line with expectations as of Sunday. On the corn side, 14% planted nationwide, up from 6% last week and above the five-year average of 11%. Six to 10-day forecast calling for lower than normal precip at the Cord Belt, which will be helpful for planting, but below normal temperatures may slow germination on planted acres. Wheat looking at some rain to very, very dry areas of the central and southern plains, but just how much can that really help out the wheat crop, especially that Kansas wheat crop, which continues to deteriorate with very poor ratings seen there. That remains to be seen. Overall, though, it looks like the soy complex is going to be spilling over at a quart of wheat here as we work through the day with pressure to the downside. In the livestock trade, fairly quiet mixed activity being seen with pretty much moderate losses, although we are finding a little bit of green on the screen here in cattle and hogs. Really just trying to find direction here after we started off the week with a decent day in the hog market with mixed to lower activity in cattle reacting to a slightly bearish cattle on feed report that we saw on Friday. Outside markets are relatively quiet once again with the Dow, NASDAQ, S&P down just slightly and crude oil hanging around the $77 a barrel mark. That is a check of the market trade this hour. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
7: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
6: I like that too.
7: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome
0: back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're going to continue our focus here on the livestock industry, but we're not talking cattle. We're not talking beef. We're going to turn the focus to the sheep industry. Joining us now is Peter Orwick. He serves as the executive director for the American Sheep Industry Association. And Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us.
8: Glad to join you.
0: I want to start by just getting an overview of the sheep industry as a whole. We've seen, of course, drought that has impacted cattle producers has certainly had an impact on sheep producers as well. Peter fill us in how's the industry feeling as we prepare for the summer of twenty twenty
8: three? Well, you're exactly right on the drought conditions. We had a good share of the of the intermountain west that uh, that didn't have the the grass uh, nor the hay production that the typically want to have and of course we're such a grass-based industry uh when you have drought that hits the range lands and pasture in the in field residue it definitely impacts us and we rolled from that in a large share of the country right into one of the toughest winters for uh livestock production that we've seen in quite a while obviously uh, North Dakota has moved into nearly all of Wyoming, a large share of Utah, a large part of Colorado, into Nevada. They basically, from Colorado, or from uh, Christmas until just really uh, now, country's starting to bear off and they can get uh, sheep moved. Part of them, they're able to trail. Part of them, there's still too much snow and they're putting them on trucks to get them to their shearing sheds and landing
0: grounds. It has certainly been a tough 12 to 24 months for sheep producers across the country. Peter, what has that done for the markets? What are we seeing for sheep producers, both in terms of lamb pricing and in wool pricing? Are the, are the numbers coming up to match the drop in herd capacity?
8: we're, We're anxious to see what our, our lamb promotion, uh, checkoff has to say about, about Easter. That is, that is the single largest marketing period of the entire year for, for American lambs, so we had uh, we had Easter, Orthodox Easter, Passover, and Ramadan all in a matter of the last uh, three plus weeks. Uh, so it'll be it'll be exciting to take a look and see how people felt the uh, the holiday went. The preliminary reports were better, and I think we had more competitive pricing at retail than we did the the year prior. Uh, so hopefully that plays out. We looked at our. Colorado lambs on feed report uh, for the first of the month, and it was down dramatically, which says that they were able to move uh, a lot of stock. Uh, hopefully, they're more current now uh, on their production, and uh, you know it's just a matter of how much come out of cold storage uh, to help service that holiday market.
0: Peter, kind of a, a wild card question for you here. The sheep industry in the U.S. really has historically been concentrated there in the upper plains and in the Mountain West. And I'm wondering, given the extent of the drought here over the past several years, have you seen the industry shift? Are are we pushing sheep further south and east in your estimation, or or is that uh, that bedrock of sheep country still sheep country?
8: It it is, um, and I think we're uh, where we're we've been seeing a shift. California, uh, both weather conditions and high labor costs, uh, that took about 9% off their numbers uh, last year. Um, you know, and, and part of it goes back to input costs. Every sector of our business is just struggling with input costs. Uh, with the grain prices where they're at, if you've been in the, in the lamb feeding business, very tough to turn a profit on a truckload of lambs. Uh, Dollar fifty to two dollars a pound gains uh, just doesn't work. Even even when they had feeder lambs coming in at at some of the lowest prices uh, in a number of years, they still couldn't make it work with the input price. And of course, you go back to the farm ranch gate, uh, similar thing, smallest hay crop since 1959, uh, where they where folks had to go in and do more supplemental feeding or grain because of, uh, of snow conditions, or in some cases like Texas drought conditions this, uh, this spring, uh, it adds up to a lot of the costs. So we're hopeful that we see some stronger returns as we move through the market. It may take just having a good crop uh, out there on the, on the feed and forage side uh, to really help turn this.
0: Absolutely. I know sheep producers aren't the only ones hoping for a strong crop here across the Corn Belt later on this year. Peter, while we've got you on the line, you know, we were just talking with Todd Wilkinson there from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about the importance of traceability, particularly with all of the, uh, the concern we have globally about animal disease. And that got me wondering about the sheep industry and animal traceability. I know you guys have recently performed a new pilot project looking at electronic tracking. Can you fill us in a little bit on what you learned?
8: Absolutely. We've had, a, we've had a full year-long uh, project, well, actually a year and a half at this point, uh, looking exactly at electronic ID and, and, and how it would work. Through our system, uh, we put a great deal of focus on the auction markets. Uh, we still run a good share of our, of our sheep through these uh, auction barns. And we wanted to see what the technology could do, uh, if it's there, and if it could be implemented in a livestock auction. Uh, And we wanted to be able to document it and share what we found uh, with the Department of of Agriculture. And to that degree, I think we've been successful. We just released a a video that we did with Sale Barn in, uh, in the state of Colorado, we have great support from the Colorado Department of, of Agriculture, as well as USDA, as well as uh, our folks in animal health team at the American Sheep Industry Association. And that's really what we wanna do, is show where we think we are in terms of technology, availability of technology, and how that works, moving these sheep through, hopefully at the speed of, uh, of commerce.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up. EID technology in the sheep industry is, is not a thing I am very well familiar with, Peter. So I'm curious, how does the technology work with regard to sheep? Is the, is the technology there to put this kind of a, a program into place if that's where the industry decides to go?
8: While there's been a lot of uh, gains in the technology. Uh, we still need uh, more, uh, more experience. And and we view it as an investment of the auction folks. Um, so I think they just got to be a, a partner right alongside of us uh, as we explore this. And you know, with USDA, um, uh, I think that's the key part. Is you know, if there's eventually there will be some kind of a mandatory system. I mean, you're you're seeing what what we're having in other sectors uh, now. And we decided a couple of years ago, we wanted to be out in front of it and make sure that our partners at the you know, Department of Ag and, and Disease Management uh, in the United States uh, were there with us and had the same uh, degree of, of experience and, and, uh, and knowledge uh, of how it works. We are exploring, we've, uh, we've visited uh, operations in Canada uh, that have uh, are further progressed. Uh, we are also looking at uh, at folks in the Northwest U.S. where they have more experience uh, with sheep uh, as well. And, of course, you know, in, in the sheep industry, we have, through our Scrapie Eradication Program, we've had a mandatory interstate program uh, for breeding uh, sheep uh, for, well, it's probably been almost two decades. Uh, so we have a tremendous amount of experience but those are the, the visual tag uh, system and the lot numbers, uh, which is a far cry from, from what can be gained uh, through electronic ID and data gathering.
0: Absolutely, but of course, anytime we put a new system in place, Peter, there's always the challenge getting folks trained, getting the system back up to the speed as the the current system, which everybody's comfortable with. And I'm wondering, since you had the chance to run this pilot through a sale barn, you got to see how it works, scanning, reading, keeping everything moving with the flow of, of animals. Did it work? Uh, did, do you, do you feel as though the the sale barn was able to keep up with their pace, even with these new systems?
8: I no, they we were not we're not there yet. Um, and I think that's part of the of the idea of the video, uh, not only for the for the regulators and uh, folks at USDA, but but for our own industry and the and the livestock barns uh, as well. As so we have a we have a ways to go yet, um, but because you know you're seeing this going on with the, with the, all the livestock sectors, I think this gives us a better opportunity to uh, to go forward and see if there's more that. That we can do in the short term uh, to have the have the system uh, in place. We're we're seeing some of the some of the terminal uh, operations is, for example, if you're going direct into uh, to the slaughter system. Uh, we have at least one of those companies that are pushing hard uh, for EID on their slaughtered lambs, and their goal is to try to track that data all the way through. Uh, to the meat end of the business and the data that they can then in turn, share back to the original producer or in many cases the commercial
0: feeder it's incredible what we can do with data and the more things we can track and have data on the more things we can change back up and down throughout the supply chain. So it's always good to be aware of, of what's happening in the industry. Peter, while we've got you on, if we've got sheep producers out who are not a member of the American sheep industry association, if they're curious about learning more about the sheep industry more broadly, where would you recommend they go for information?
8: Thanks for asking that. And we encourage people to use our website, sheep, usa.org and we'll have not only a link to this eid video but an opportunity to uh to join the organization and explore the data and, and information we have
0: be sure to check that out folks sheep peter orwick executive director of the american sheep industry association thanks so much for joining us today thank you and, folks, stay with us. We'll be talking with Eric Newhouse, Policy Director of the American Association of Manufacturers, here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
7: You are not your diagnosis,
9: a medical chart is not your
4: identity
7: and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research
4: for the cures we are finding.
9: We're fighting macular degeneration.
4: Retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases.
0: We fund.
7: We fight. We We win. win. We, 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 we are the the Foundation Foundation Fighting Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness.
3: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.
6: I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels.
1: Soft. And crumbly. Tom.
6: How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win.
0: this is around the table where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership today we're talking with kevin meyer a lubricants technical expert with chs about the importance of preventative maintenance to keep equipment running as the 2023 cropping season begins kevin with field work and planting underway what should farms do to keep equipment in good repair to prevent unwanted downtime
10: great question i think you know like you mentioned preventative maintenance is a really important thing just to just to do in general you know making sure the equipment is clean replacing parts or or things that are needed, you know, last thing you want to do is is have that equipment break down in the field when it's needed most. And and with that comes, you know, using good quality lubricants, you know, changing the oil out if, if it's needed, if it hasn't been done already. Uh, you know, greasing up the equipment, using good quality lubricants are, are very important with that. Um, there are unfortunately some poor quality lubricants, poor quality greases that are out there. And unfortunately, those may not hold up to these extended drains that we're starting to see out, out in the field today, you know, 500, 600 hours on the engine. Um, and so you want to have a good lubricant, good grease that has that additive package and base oil that can, that can hold up to those, those drain intervals that we're seeing.
9: You
0: mentioned the importance of lubricants for ongoing spring maintenance. What are some tips for farmers to help them choose lubricants.
10: I think a big thing is kind of looking for the specifications that are required by the OEM, by the equipment manufacturers that are out there. All OEMs will kind of have a specification that they're looking for and a good quality lubricant will meet those specifications. And and in many cases, uh, like with arsenics products, you know, kind of exceed those um, specifications. So looking for those specs, looking for something that company that has a good, you know, reputable source.
0: Any final thoughts for farmers working to get crops in the ground this spring?
10: Just doing that preventive maintenance, putting the good quality lubricants and greases in there and and just making sure that that equipment is is maintained, you know, because I think unfortunately when equipment breaks down, uh, bills are only getting more expensive, you know, year after year. So you want to kind of prevent that from happening in the first place.
0: Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at
1: cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Agriculture
0: of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back to AOA. And gentlemen, in the rural economy for the past 15 years, you've probably noticed a growth of manufacturing here across rural America. It has really been a bellwether. It has brought a lot of jobs and income back to rural America. So as we go out into 2023, I was curious, how is the state of manufacturing more broadly? Well, joining us today for an update is Eric Newhouse. He serves as the Senior Vice President for Policy and Government Relations at the National Association of Manufacturers. And Eric, thanks so much for joining us today.
9: Thanks for the chance. Appreciate it.
0: You mentioned, uh, or excuse me, you recently had a a piece in The Hill highlighting the growth that has happened in manufacturing. But Eric, it sounds like there are some clouds on the horizon. What are some challenges you see ahead for American manufacturers?
9: Appreciate it. Yeah. So in a good way to your comment, we've seen real growth in the manufacturing sector and we're over 13 million employees in the sector now, the highest we've had since 2008. And if you would have asked us, you know, a year ago, you know, are we going to see this kind of manufacturing resurgence as far as employees? Never thought it was going to happen. And so we're, you know, again, the trend is good, but there are some real and significant challenges. Let me focus on three. Taxes. There's a number of different tax provisions that really have the ability to hit the manufacturing economy in a critical way, and it gets to the ability for manufacturers to invest and innovate. Let me just take one example to give you a sense of what we're facing. The R&D tax credit. This has been something that's been a debate within Congress and Washington for a long time, and the conversation always turns to, hey, you know, we're going to make sure that this happens. We're going to make sure that the R&D tax credit is extended to make sure manufacturers have the ability to invest, to innovate, to create jobs, to stay competitive. Unfortunately, this year we're facing a change in the tax law. So in the 2017 tax bill, a provision was included that basically began to ramp down the amount that the manufacturing community could deduct from their taxes. Okay. Well, why does that matter? If you think about it, manufacturers are capital intensive. You know, the ability to innovate, the ability to kind of invest in that next machinery, equipment, critical. Job creating, again, gets the competitiveness of the sector. And that ability to deduct is a key incentive. And we're taking that away. And we just think that's a mistake. And it's in the context in which major international competitors, China, for example, have a super deduction in place. China allows 200% deduction of R&D expenses. Whoa. We're in the process. Yeah, right. Like, you know, so again, they've decided this is the right thing to do. We're having a debate in Washington. Should we do this or not? And that just seems like a mistake. So first thing, it's a huge challenge. Absolutely. And so this reduction in the
0: R&D tax credit is coming at the same time in another reduction, Eric, that our audience is familiar with, and that's bonus depreciation. How is that going to impact manufacturers?
9: So it goes to the same, you know, again, manufacturers, just like, the you know, your community, capital matters. You know buying that tractor buying that piece of equipment buying that machine press it, it it matters and you know so expensing interest payments deductibility all these things they're beginning to be phased out so we all just use expensing as the example so we're beginning to see a slow phase out starting in 2023 that will complete in 2027 where there will be a complete repeal of 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 expensing now what that means is you know manufacturers your community the ag community you know, if you invest in that piece of capital, you traditionally have been able for the last seven years, been able to deduct the full cost of that investment. And that really drives competitiveness, again, innovation, make sure that you're up to date and relevant in an incredibly difficult and competitive environment, That's what's beginning to be pulled out. so you're you're disincentivizing investment. And in a slowing economy, high inflation, all the uncertainties we're facing domestically and internationally, Again, just the wrong idea at the wrong time. It is. And so Eric, even if American manufacturing, if we can get
0: these tax code issues changed, and then we get a, an industry looking to grow, they have to build facilities. And I understand construction and permitting is also a challenge for manufacturers.
9: That's exactly right. And let me just give you a sense of what this looks like. So the White House, the last administration came out in you know, several years ago and said, hey, look, we looked at this. It takes on average four and a half years to get a permit approved under the National Environment, Environmental Policy Act. That's very wonky and very D.C. Let me just kind of, you know, kind of bottom line this. If a manufacturer is looking to expand their facility, they're looking to grow, create jobs, make that investment. More times than not, they're going to need a permit. That permit is going to be a state conversation, a local conversation, a county conversation, and oftentimes a federal conversation. So you've got to go through this permitting process. And again, at the end of the day, trying to get the shared goals we all have. Environmental protection, you know, clean air, clean water. We live in the communities. We're committed to, you know, environmental protection. It's the right thing to do, but it's the process that's the problem. So on average, it takes four and a half years to get this permit through the federal government. That makes no sense. We've got story after story from the manufacturing community. One story that caught my attention, there was an Endangered Species Act, you know, review that needed to happen as part of a manufacturer's interest in, in expanding their facility. They waited more than two years for the National Marine Fisheries Service to assign a, bi- a biologist to review this. So wow. you've got a manu- right, like you've got a manufacturer that wants to create jobs, and we can't get the federal government to assign somebody to do the review for two years. So construction is sitting on the sidelines. You know, that manufacturing facility is just spiraling. It makes no sense. So in a good way, the federal government Congress is beginning to talk about permitting reform. The NAM is going to testify tomorrow morning on this before the Senate, really trying to make clear to policymakers permitting is critical to manufacturing. Eric, what's the name of that legislation we should be watching here on Permitting Reform? So we're going to see there's um, two different versions. The House has passed something already. It was in H.R. 1. They passed it as part of um, an overall energy bill two or three weeks ago. Really a number of strong provisions in there. Uh, It had some bipartisan support, an important step forward. The other bill we're expecting to come out of Senator Capito from West Virginia, also likely Senator Carper from Delaware. That is the ranking member and chairman of the Senate Environmental Public Works Committee.
0: All right, folks, keep your eye on those issues. These massive federal things will matter in rural areas. We've been talking with Eric Newhouse, Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Relations at the National Association of Manufacturers. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Great,
9: thanks again.
0: And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk natural gas with our friends from CoBank, and we'll also get an update on protein with Lance Zimmerman. We'll see you then for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart.
1: Welcome to
2: the 2023 corn sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com.
4: Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on, board. get on board.
6: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services,
8: Health Resources and Services Administration.